Welcome to Beautiful Salt City. I am Jim Unruh. My conversation is with Tanya Martin Nisley. Beautiful Salt City's purpose is to work towards a thriving and resilient community for all people in Reno County. During the holidays, I found myself getting more and more tired and less resilient. In our conversation, Tanya talks about the effects to our body and emotions when our brains constantly run. This resonated with me. Our family has had an increase in life stress, and I have not been doing self-care effectively. So part of my reflecting on our conversation, I resolved to experiment more with self-care. This conversation was also a lot of fun and informative for me, so I hope you enjoy it. I always enjoy your feedback. Email me, jim at hutchfmc.org. How has your self-care been working during this season? For appreciations, I am thankful for living in Reno County and for the friends and cohorts that I have here. During this season, we have received gifts of cookies, of notes, of kind and caring words, of gifts that remind us of friendship, kindness, and love, or just genuine questions of how are you? If you find yourself struggling, look for the helpers. They are all around you. Thank you, Matt Rowland, for this song from The Hermitry, Feels Like a Game. Thank you, Grace Roland, for our closing music, and thank you for listening. Hi, Tanya. Welcome. Thanks for doing this. You're welcome. Who is Tanya Martin-Nisley? I think of demographics first. I'm a 47-year-old white wife and mother of three. I grew up in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and... I have an affinity for some of those East Coast cultural behaviors like being short and sweet and to the point when you're on the telephone. I'm a bit of a dork about accents and comedians and podcasts. And I have been a social worker since 1998 in numerous different fields. That's not all of who I am, but that's a couple pieces. So tell me more about the dorky podcast thing, like you said, of accents and comedians and podcasts. Those things don't all necessarily go together, although I guess they do overlap. Um, But I... The thoughts in my own head can be rascally and and hard to uh, channel in a positive direction. And so I often have something else to listen to while I am folding laundry or washing Mm -hmm. dishes or or what have you, uh, driving in the car. And uh, since I have my choice of podcasts from all over the world now, I do a little less... Uh, news and commercial radio and a little more of hand picking and so some of those there's a local podcast out of Wichita and I'm not gonna be able to think of the name right now if I think of it I'll I'll tell you but Uh it's all about uh, words and etymology and 
I think it's called you're saying it wrong. And so they get into pronunciations Uh and all these colloquial little wars with how to say things. And I loved more than anything a Philadelphia accent because it's not so widespread as a Brooklyn accent, but it can be quite thick. And it just feels like home to me. And um, I, I like to hear how people say things, how people use idioms and expressions differently in different parts of the country. Yeah, so for the nine years this hick, Kansas hick, lived in Philly, <laughs> yes, I had the strange accent. <laughs> yeah. And and I love the Philly, and I, I come, Heidi mocks me when I try to do accents, so I uh, won't even try. But, <laughs> but even, but it's so interesting because Lancaster County in Philadelphia mm-hmm hour and a half apart Mm -hmm. or so driving but a whole different world and yes a a huge change in accent and and also uh you're gonna hear that accent less maybe on the radio or Uh in a college but you're more in your gas station or in the grocery store. And so I think socioeconomic often shapes accents. Uh And so, you know, there's a thick Philly accent has something a little gritty to it. Mm -hmm. And it's, yeah, something I enjoy. So what are you doing in Reno County, Kansas? Mm -hmm. Well, when I followed my Mennonite ethnicity west from Lancaster to go to college and then VS and then KU from VS for my grad um, school I met a guy from Partridge Kansas and when we were deciding where to settle which family to, to have kids with we moved out to Reno County for what a couple year experiment and found out that this is where we can fit some of our values into what we wanted for our future. Um, Like owning some land, having some animals, My sister lived in L.A. at the time, and I said to her, I know it sounds like a small thing, but there isn't a lot of traffic here. And she right away said, that's not a small thing. (laughs) I have two young boys, and that's not a small thing. So um, I just found friends here in a way that I didn't expect, and people I really could relate to that I wanted those kinds of people to be around me and around my children and so, yeah, we just never left. That's part of the reason why you and Heidi are a good fit together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Where did you do VS at? Kansas City. Kansas City, that's right. Yes. I, I did do a year of, um, with the MCC program, serving and learning together in the Philippines right after high school. Okay. Then I went to undergrad, and I didn't know what to do because I'm a third board, and so I don't have a five-year plan. I'm just a middle child, <laughs> and so I the, the the path wasn't clear to me, so I just joined VS so I'd have a place to live and a meal to eat, and that was in Kansas City, Kansas. Uh-huh. 
and it was a wonderful experience. And what did you do in Kansas City while you were there? I worked at Safe Home, a um, shelter for women escaping domestic violence and trying to heal. And uh, yeah, it was a very intense first job. And after a year and a half, I went to talk to a therapist and I just, uh, I said, when I see a couple in public, I have the thought of, I bet he hits her. And I don't feel like I am balancing my work very well. And it, it was just really starting to wear me out. And so I kind of deliberately made a change to, but I have always appreciated that background yeah. and what I learned in that setting. Did you, did you go to KU after that then? Yes. Okay. What I realized during VS is that it's very difficult to make a living wage as a bachelor level social worker. And that KU has a, at the time in 2000, 1999, so a very high rated uh, graduate program for social work and I could uh, do advanced standing. So I was able to complete it in 12 months. So I, I want to talk about more about what's going on today, but a yeah. couple things really fascinating there for me because we've been talking about in this podcast wanting everyone to be safe. And mm -hmm. so the domestic violence issue there and also just laughing about the social work, having a bachelor's in social work, not being able to have sufficient enough resources to do that work and what that says about our society. But Ugh. so I'll let that one go. But I am interested in your observations at that time and, and further on of the effect of folks not being safe and how that impacts the rest of their life. One thing that was interesting about Safe Home is that it was placed in Johnson County and the residents generally were not from Johnson County because of the socioeconomic resources um, and the way they, they are set up. And so we had a wealthier culture providing the resources for the shelter and a different culture using the shelter. And what was helpful for me um, as a middle-class white person was to understand trauma in, in addition to on an emotional, spiritual level, on a um, biological level in the brain and how neuropathways form and need to heal if you're going to have your your full functioning. And so when I've heard you talk on the podcast about living a whole life or living a full life, um, you know, no matter what stage in life you experience that trauma to the brain, it is a physical thing that is happening in addition to other things that can feel more abstract emotions, spirituality. And so I don't know why, because of our mind-body split and, and in our Western culture, mm -hmm. how we think about these things, that, that biological piece of it has helped me to talk with people about uh, suffering in a way that is not as 
upsetting or intimidating or uncomfortable and I'm and I'm okay with people being somewhat uncomfortable but not if if it moves them away from the topic physical harm does harm to the body but what I heard you saying in what I've seen in other research is that it also does physical harm to the brain right and emotions come out of that and our thinking processes and how we see the world and how we interact with the world um, which is not visible so we can see the external scars but not mm -hmm. the internal scars mm -hmm. is that a good summary or yes and I think it moves the conversation to um, what are people able to do not what are they willing to do because your option your if you if you if your brain isn't able to consider as many options as it was prior to the trauma then now we can talk about that people can't access those resources within themselves and so they need support and we can take that piece of blame of well they just won't they're choosing not to for me that it, it helps with that transition this is not the direction i was planning for this conversation but this is so fascinating to me because over the christmas break i watched a documentary of a well-known comedian who grew up with childhood abuse and his brain when they did a scan of his brain the left side which is the rational cognitive planning part was almost dormant but his right side which is the creative part the escape part the imagination part was exploding with activity mm -hmm. and when he saw that he realized oh that makes sense why have I been making poor decisions all my life this part of my brain is dormant mm -hmm. and why did I move towards comedy and writing and creativity oh this part was, which was my escape mechanism from the trauma I was experiencing as a child is just off the chart. Why did I struggle in school? Part of it was dormant. The other part um, in, in the planning side was dormant. The creativity side was explosive mm -hmm. um, in his brain. And so that was another one of those aha moments for me mm -hmm. of the effect of uh, physical effect that we can't mm -hmm. see. So. Thank you for engaging in that conversation with me. Well, I, I find it fascinating. But. Yeah. So you're a, a wife, mom, landowner. <laughs> what is your occupational activities? Right now, I am a social worker at Hutchinson High School. I, I have a contract to be a social worker in the 308 district. So if they needed me somewhere else, I could go somewhere else. But for the past five years, I've been at Hutch High. Okay. So in general terms, what are you seeing at Hutch High? Let's... So what I'm seeing at Hutch High, I, I, it's hard to remember before COVID at this point. Yeah. And what I'm seeing is people who have a hole in their lives and they're not sure how to replace the rewarding and motivating piece that was there because at our core, we are social creatures, even the introverts even those of us with social anxieties or, or what have you, we, we had a structure. It was working better for some than for others, but it's gone. And 
I never talk for long without mentioning grief, mm-hmm. <laughs> but we have so much daily grief right now, and I think that it's difficult to move through that without support, and the ways that we get support have been taken from us. And so I'm just seeing staff and students with carrying these loads of daily grief. Yeah. and. And I've seen, I mean, ingenuity and commitment and passion and love for students. I have, I haven't seen staff sitting around waiting for someone to come up with a solution for them. I've seen staff scrambling and working and thinking so hard. Yeah. We are all thinking so hard all the time, and I, I think often we don't realize it because you might think you're just driving home and listening to the news and looking at the beautiful Kansas sky, but there is a part of your brain who's, that is trying to figure out why life has shifted and which boxes can I put things into to make sense, and that is using your physical, mental, and emotional energy, and so, you know, when people can't figure out why they're so drained, it's because <laughs> we are all thinking so hard all the time. Mm-hmm. So post-COVID world, um, staff and students had some level of caring, connecting relationships that has been changed. Mm-hmm. And so people are adapting to uh, how to live in this COVID world where those caring, connecting relationships are are altered. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of effects does that have on folk? You talked a little bit about our brain is constantly moving. Mm-hmm. That what we thought we could count on is not mm-hmm. reliable. Um, life has shifted. Yeah. Um, any I think, other thoughts about that? Well, I think one of the good effects that it has had is we've had these little bursts of creativity. Mm-hmm. I see, I see people doing things with and without technology in really creative ways. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that at the same time, if I can't be consistent from day to day about how I want to manage COVID in my life, um, then how am I going to uh, navigate that with my husband, my children, my co-workers, my students, the person at the gas station. I mean, the social impact of getting along with people who are responding differently to COVID than you, it's just really, it's taking a lot of our energy too. I think people are tired. Yeah, and when we're tired, it leads to what? Behaviors. Well, I see anger. <laughs> I see short-tempered. I see irritability, um, yeah. and there has this isn't my fault, and it mm-hmm. has to be somebody's fault. Mm-hmm. And so, a lot of misplaced blame to people around you when it's it's so much bigger than that. And when we're in our better moments, and when we're using our executive thinking, we know that. Mm-hmm. But when we get worn down, and our brain is short on glucose, mm-hmm. <laughs> then we're pretty sure it's that guy's fault. Right. Whoever that 
poor guy is who happens to be walking by. So, yeah, um, I've said to my my, um, students a lot, you, whatever whatever personality traits you saw in that teacher before, you're just going to see more of them. Mm-hmm. So that snarky one is probably going to be more snarky. And that funny one might be like so dopey, you're not even sure if they're okay. And the sweet sugary one is, <laughs> it, it just, it kind of, exaggerates the personality traits that we all carry around for better or for worse. So for students who were in a chaotic life Mm pre-COVID, how has COVID affected them with the world shifting and changing? That's, for me, that feels very dark right now. Okay, say more. And a little overwhelming because some of the struggles that the students I work with were having before COVID were overwhelming. Mm -hmm. So, you know, whether that's a physical need that isn't being met or just a lack of joy or um, the unpredictability of a mental illness or substance abuse that's untreated or, you know, all those kinds of stressors. And now I can't even read their face Uh because they're not in my office and if they are they have a mask Mm -hmm. and uh, I can't show my caring through my expressions or body language or or the the reassuring that I would try to do and there's, there's just so many obstacles from how I used to do my job and I am you know there's a there's a few nice things that have happened. Uh, I text with Google Voice, and I text from my laptop, and I can type a lot faster than I can text on my phone. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just whipping out those texts. Mm-hmm. How are you? Let me know. Did you see this? You know, welcome back. Did you know today's the first day <laughs> of school? Um, and they text me back, and you know, there's there's been some adaptions I've made that I will keep from here on out regardless yeah. of of what happens with the pandemic but but in general I just feel like I'm trying to do my job with one hand tied behind my back sure um, it was my observation early on in the pandemic that the folks who were in crisis world mm-hmm were adapting to this crisis mm-hmm. better because they were used to living in crisis. Mm-hmm. But what I heard in your answer was, as the length of this form of crisis has stretched out, those who had limited resources to begin with, whether that was emotional or financial or caring, connecting relationships, that is expa- exasperated to make things more of a struggle. Did I hear that correctly or that's that's what I see okay. is that I, I, I see what you mean about if if you are well accustomed to being light on your feet when it comes to ad- uh, change and unpredictability, then you have some skills that are going to be helpful during the, during during COVID. But I think the overall stress, you know, what we hear is that, you know, food instability is up and domestic violence is up and drug abuse is up. And so 
those pieces, um, I think, are are having uh, an increased toll over time. What gives you hope? So when you're interacting with students, what gives you hope? What would you hope for for the lives of the students that you interact with? Students understand technology better than the adults around them. And although everybody knows that in a way, it is very fun to see um, adults constantly accessing that resource and the kids moving into this like profound role of leadership they are clearly i did a presentation in a classroom and it was 75 minutes long and i had uh students in the classroom and students online and then i wanted to share videos and technologically for me it was a little bit dicey and they didn't hesitate at all. They jump out of their seat and come push the right thing on the touch screen or just say, just tell me what to do in a way that I could tell they were very used to walking uh-huh. <laughs> uh, as adults through it. And it was a nice, it, it, it showed me how engaged they were and how helpful and useful they felt. And it was just kind of a nice equalizing energy in the whole thing. It was something we did together. I came as a quote unquote guest speaker, but we did got through the material together. What gives you energy about your work? My work is important because I have the opportunity to problem solve with people every day, all day. And I used to feel more efficient in some ways about that because I had my whole routine down and now that's been tossed in the air and um, has come down with pieces all over the place. But I still, by definition of my job, am going to walk into a building and there's going to be people and I'm going to try and help them solve problems. Mm. And it's always going to be different. And my hope is that <laughs> students today are watching adults and, and, and I think often they are seeing how limited, how, how much we limit ourselves and they have a lot of creative space and, and they are seeing roads around it and teaching us. My hope is that they continue to have hope and I see a lot of hope in the students, often more than in the staff. Mm. The staff get discouraged and need a pep talk, but it's often the students who give it, I Mm. think. What would be an example of a pep talk that students give? Maybe my brain is just kind of stuck on technology, Uh but I have seen staff, I have done this myself, kind of said, you know what, Uh, never mind. We can't make Zoom work. We can't make Google Meet work for some reason. Uh, Let's just talk on the phone. And they'll Uh say, well, I mean, I I know about these eight other platforms that I'm using all the time. Would Uh one of them work? Uh (laughs) And I'm like, oh, 
sure. <laughs> and and then and for this particular student, he has a significant stutter. And if I can see him, I can tell that he is working on a word. Mm -hmm. And over the phone, if I can't see him, I'll think he's done talking. Then I'll start talking. Now he's more flustered. The stutter is worse. And it's, it's not a very helpful. Uh, but I was ready to give up after, you know, two platforms didn't work. Mm -hmm. And he was like there's a whole world of platforms why mm -hmm. <laughs> come along with me i yeah. their brains are so different and i think so often they are told that your brains aren't fully developed yet and that can be there's a helpful piece there that that can be educational but their brains are also freed up in a way that that ours aren't if you don't mind me lumping you in <laughs> For me, going to Kansas Leadership Center and changing the language from doing problem solving to experiments to see what we're learning has been really, really freeing. And that's what kids and high schoolers are doing all the time. They're experimenting mm -hmm. in positive and negative ways, mm -hmm. um, but are more free to experiment mm -hmm. as, than adults. Mm -hmm. and, and we need to recapture that on on being free that I'm going to try this. I don't know if it's going to work or not, but I'm going to learn something from it. Mm -hmm. So that'll be a grand adventure. Well, being around teenagers definitely helps me to, I mean, they're modeling it for mm -hmm. me. And and it is very helpful from, from new slang uh -huh. to new fashions to new platforms yeah. on the internet. They're they're just shapeshifters. I mean, yeah. they're just evolving, and not getting too stuck in a rut is also an, a, a rewarding part of my job. Mm -hmm. So here you are, growing up in Pennsylvania, Lancaster mm -hmm. County, and now you've invested yourself in Reno County, mm -hmm. and you have these lovely daughters and husband mm -hmm. and extended family. What is your hope for for everyone in Reno County? What would you long for? Um, when I was thinking about this question just kind of briefly, the, one of the first things that came to me was, quote, when Mr. Rogers quoted his mother about when, when he would get scared on the news. And I pulled it up. So he says, quote, when I was a boy and I would see scary things in the news, my mother would say to me, look for the helpers. You will always find people who are helping, end quote. And my hope for Reno County is that we keep finding each other, the people who are helping, because there's so many people helping. And if you're feeling despair or discouraged or um, you've watched the news recently, a really good mental health choice is to turn it off and go find somewhere to volunteer. Hmm. Uh, so many pieces fall into place when, if you can distract your brain from your own problems or the problems of the city or the nation and, and just have this small piece of being part of the solution. If, if you could put that into a pill, then that pharmacy would make a lot of money, I think. But we don't need a pill. We can go and find people who are helping and be part of it. 
Any other thoughts that you have? I believe in the people of Reno County. I really do. I think there's, you know, we need to dig deep and believe in ourselves and believe in each other. And I'm very hopeful for Hachai and for our city. That's a good word to leave us with. (laughs) Hey, thank you for the time. This was lovely. Thank you. Look for the helpers. They are all around you.